This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is damn near 11 o'clock a.m. Central Daylight Time. This is the 1st of June, 2020. This is episode 245 of Bitcoin and let's have a little discussion about land. Um, the I've been trying to figure out some way that, it, at least in my mind, okay, I'm not trying to push this off as like some kind of new freaking standard. That's not what I'm getting at. But I'm having difficulty continuing to think about Bitcoin in terms of fiat money i.e., what is its price on TradingView, or what is it over at Coinbase Pro in terms of the United States dollar, euro, Japanese yen, I, whatever fiat, pick a fiat currency of your flavor, and that I'm having trouble. Uh, we, you know, we had $3 trillion in the last, you know, couple of weeks airdropped on the United States economy via the Fed, whose balance sheet is now north of $7 trillion. <clears throat> Yet, I don't see any price reflections or, or any reflections of that dropping of money anywhere, much less Bitcoin, but anywhere. It's almost as if it, it's almost as if the supply, this supply of money doesn't do anything at all. But we all know that you can't just print money. Well, clearly you can because they're doing it. But because of this and the fact that even before this happened, I was having some some difficulty because we all hate fiat anyway. I mean, it's like we, we know that fiat money contains the seeds of its own destruction. And it looks like those things not only have sprouted, but are now taking root. Um, so I'm looking or have been looking for a way to value a single Bitcoin in terms of something other than fiat. And what I came up with was land, L-A-N-D, land, because they ain't making no more of it. At least that's what my papa used to say. And in a way, he's actually correct, but I'm not talking about commercial real estate. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, residential real estate. I'm not really talking about real estate. I'm talking about raw land that you can use to produce things from. Why? Because all the wealth in the world that exists today came from the land. It either came from underneath the land or it came from on top of the land, like underneath being minerals, like gold, oil, that kind of stuff, or on top of the land, commodity crops, meat, you know, shit, medicine, stuff like this. Okay. All of it, all of the wealth, even if it was artificially produced, you had to get the materials to produce whatever X from somewhere. You didn't get it from outer space. It either came from underneath the land or on top of the land. Okay. So now here's, here's the rub though. I had, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for land, uh, to peg Bitcoin to that is somewhat usable because if, if I go, okay, well, Bitcoin is so-and-so many, you know, worth so-and-so many acres of land. Well, is that tundra? Is that land in the Sahara desert? Cause neither one of those are really all that useful unless there's minerals underneath, but I don't want to get into that. I, I need to pick something. So what I'm settling on is one Bitcoin being worth X amount of acres of arable land. What the hell does arable mean? If you don't know, we'll just read the simple explanation from uh, Wikipedia here. Arable land is any land capable of being plowed and used to grow crops. 
Alternatively, for the purposes of agricultural statistics, the term often has a more precise definition. Quote, arable land is the land under temporary agricultural crops or crops. Multiple cropped areas are counted only once. Temporary meadow for mowing or pasture. Land under market and kitchen gardens and land temporarily fallow less than five years. The abandoned land resulting from shifting cultivation is not included in this category. Data for arable land are not meant to indicate the amount of land that is potentially cultivatable. A more concise definition appearing in the Eurostat glossary similarly, refer, similarly refers to actual rather than potential uses. Quote, land worked, plowed or tilled regularly, generally, under a system of crop rotation. All right. What that definition, generally speaking, that definition is describing uh, commodity farming. All right. However, it's useful for me to look at arable land because there's, uh, if it can be plowed, and it can be crops can be grown upon it. I'm not necessarily needing to grow annual crops. I can possibly do something more. Uh, along the lines of uh, permanent agriculture or permaculture, something like, you know, a nut orchard or fruit orchards, something that's more permanent, and then be able to graze cows in between the alleys of said fruit or and or nut trees. I'm just, what I'm li literally looking for is usable land, okay? I can't use tundra. I can't use desert. I can't use the top of the Himalayan mountains. What I can use is a section of land in Texas, in some parts of Texas. There are some parts of Texas that you don't want to have any, any business being on land for because there's like literally it gets no water. Okay, so think of usable, farmable land and throw away the idea of commodity agriculture because I'm not a fan, okay? <clears throat> now, if I'm looking at arable land, and not the tops of mountains, and not deep in deserts, and not somewhere in the freaking Antarctic or a desert island or something like that, then what I'm coming up with here is that 1 BTC should be equal to 365 acres of arable land on Earth. All right, so where did I get that? Uh, I got the, the number of, um, the total number of square miles of arable land in the world from McGill, M-C-G-I-L-L, they're just, and here, here's the problem, okay? I'm not saying that this is easy. The problem is I have to trust a third party to give me accurate data as to how much actual arable land is in the world. Why? Because I can't walk the entire face of the planet and count for myself the number of arable acres of land. So I've got to depend on something, right? Again, here's your trusted third parties or security holes, but still... Hey, you got to use them where you can use them, okay? <clears throat> so McGill pegs the total number of arable land in the world at 12 million square miles. Now, if you can, now there's 640 acres per square mile, so the conversion is relatively straightforward. You end up getting 7.68 billion acres of arable land, okay? So I have 7.6 billion acres of land. I know there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. So if I divide those two numbers, I get roughly around 365 acres of arable land. All right. Now it's a bare bone model. I mean, and there it's clearly going to be flawed. Okay. For instance, I can buy arable land that was a 15 year old blown out hay field in the middle of BFE for a hell of a lot less fiat money than I can buy about 290 acres of, um, I think they're 60 years old or 80 year old pecan trees. It's somewhere in Lubbock County or Hockley County in the panhandle of Texas <clears throat> that has a, that it's a farm for sale and it's a, it's a, well, it's a pecan grove, right? So 291 trees of a nut bearing pecans is going for $2.3 million. I ain't paying, no, nobody's paying no $2.3 million for the same amount of acreage of blown out bullshit hayfield in the middle of BFE. So there's clearly problems with this model. I am not saying that this is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But guys, 
I got to go somewhere because I'm just not all that ready to, I, I'm, I'm actually, well, I'm ready to get off the fiat system when I'm thinking about Bitcoin. I, I can't do this shit anymore. There's way, way too much shit going on in the world that threatens everything that we thought was stable. The only thing that is, that I know of that is stable and, and there's a problem with this too, is the amount of arable land on the planet. <clears throat> Erosion. There's your depreciation. <laughs> Yeah, there's your depreciation right there is erosion. So that factors in. Also, uh, you know, it, it's, it's clear that since I'm having to depend on a third party for my numbers, that can be wrong too. Case in point, uh, let's see, let's see, hold on here. Um, Apostol 1111111111 has basically, our, uh, or I'm sorry, BTC Mantis gave me a different set of numbers uh, from, was it wolframalpha.com. They're pegging the amount of arable land on the world as damn near, you know, twice as much as what I was getting off of McGill. Okay, so from that standpoint, we're talking about one BTC being worth a, a little, I think it ends up being 700, a little over 700 acres of arable land. So here's what I would really like to see, because this makes a lot of sense to me, is that one BTC equals one section of land. One section of land is one square mile and is equal to 640 acres. This has been a system that has been in place when we talk about a section of land being 640 acres. This shit's been in place for decades, if not over you know a century or a century and a half. We've been, we've been talking about sections of land like this for years. It's, you know, totally like a, a static system that we've been used to forever and ever and ever. So it seems to me that if I were to be able to peg one BTC at 640 acres of arable land, that would get me kind of closer to being able to see what the true value of BTC is. And what you can do with 640 acres is amazing. If you do it right now, here's the, here's the rub though. Arable land, generally speaking, as the the, uh, definition goes is plowable. Well, that means you got to put a tractor upon it. That, that excludes certain hills and mountainsides that have a rise over run over a certain degree. And I can't remember what it is that a tractor has to be sitting on to be stable and be able to do its work. But you're not, you're not putting a tractor on 15 degree slope. I mean, no, nobody's going to do that shit. And that's why you don't see agriculture on like hilltops and stuff. I mean, if the hill, if the hill slope is below a certain amount of degree, then yes, tractors can get on it. But because of the fact that we're depending on tractors and stuff to do the uh, the mother load of the work, a lot of hills and stuff that could be farmed cannot be farmed. That's where permaculture comes in. On other types of land that would be quote unquote non-arable, but still has soil and still has, you know, rain falls from the sky and shit, because of that, you can grow. And I've seen it done. I've seen people on mountainsides growing all manner of fruits. Well, not fruits, but vegetables, nuts, grazing hogs, all, I mean, all kinds of stuff. There is a whole host of food that you can do on land that is quote unquote, not arable. So we start factoring those numbers in and one BTC gets you real close to having the land that you need for the Citadel. That's all I'm saying. So give it some thought as to what would you do? You don't have to use what I'm using because clearly it's going to be a flawed model for very many reasons. But if you were to value BTC as in from anything other than fiat, what would that be? Would it be a Bentley? One BTC equals one Bentley. What what would you value a BTC, you know, one Bitcoin as if you were not valuing it in fiat?
Just something to think about. Glassnode reveals more than half of the Bitcoin supply has been dormant over the past year as BTC targets $10,000. Daily HODL staff writing this one for the Daily HODL this morning. Blockchain data provider Glassnode says a significant number of Bitcoin has not moved in over a year, showing an increase of hodling behavior among investors. A tweet from the on-chain analysis firm reveals that 60% of the BTC supplies remained inactive in the last 12 months. Glassnode notes that the last time the percentage of dormant BTC hovered around 60% was nearly three years ago, months before the leading cryptocurrency exploded to its all-time high of $20,000. The increase in hodling behavior comes even after the pandemic-induced crash in March, which saw Bitcoin lose over 50% of its value within 48 hours. Days after the collapse, Glassnode said that, the cryptocurrency, or that cryptocurrency users withdrew their BTC from exchanges at a rapid rate and moved it into private wallets. Wallets, which is another indication that investors are holding on to the asset. Quote, despite the volatility, Bitcoin hodlers appear to be withdrawing their funds from exchanges. Outflow has been increasing daily since March the 18th. According to our labels, BTC exchange balances are the lowest they've been in eight months, end quote. Analysts are quick to point out that supply tends to move after price surges. The increase in activity during a bull rally suggests that hodlers or investors are possibly transferring their BTC to exchanges so they can sell. Based on Glassnode's chart, more trading occurs as the value of the cryptocurrency rises, lowering the percentage of inactive BTC. At time of writing, Bitcoin is closing in on $10,000 resistance and trading at $9,546 after peaking at $9,696 over the weekend, according to data compiled by CoinMarketCap. So there you go, man, dude. A lot of the supply of existing BTC is just, is just not moving. I mean, it's like... And I guess some people would argue that that means that it's not liquid, but I mean, if it's not, if, if, if Bitcoin is not liquid, then why can I buy it readily from the cash app? Again, just saying Bitcoin IRA data showing record transaction volume in April and May indicates BTC rise to $280,000 daily hodl staff writing this little bit of hopium for the daily hodl sometime yesterday. Now, before we start into this, guys, $280,000, when, when people start making price predictions like this, uh, yeah, it's best to just take it with a grain of salt and understand that it is almost pure hopium. And that's okay. I mean, eventually, I do believe that we're going to see these prices, but uh, I wouldn't be looking for it, you know, sometime inside this year. But be that as it may, the company behind the world's leading digital asset IRA technology platform has released a new data indicating that Bitcoin will see an exponential price surge after the third halving. Bitcoin IRA anticipates that BTC's decreased supply and increased demand following the May 11th halving that slashed Bitcoin block rewards from 12.5 BTC to 6.25 BTC will cause the price of the leading cryptocurrency to increase dramatically. Hold on, guys. It didn't slash the block reward. The halving doesn't slash the block reward. It halves the subsidy portion of the Bitcoin block reward because the reward is made up of two things, the subsidy and the fees. It did not slash the fees. The fees are a separate thing that is decided by the free market. The subsidy is what's under the program or is what's controlled by the algorithm of the BTC code where every 210,000 blocks, the subsidy portion of the reward gets halved. Okay. So be careful when people talk about having the block reward because it's not, okay? So <clears throat> the event effectively reduced cryptocurrency's inflation rate to 1.8%, which is lower than the 2% inflation target of the Federal Reserve and other central banks. Bitcoin IRA Chief Operating Officer Chris Klein says the firm's record transaction volume in April and May shows that demand for Bitcoin inside IRA and 401k accounts are increasing. Quote, as more investors look for retirement alternatives to the traditional stock market and awareness of cryptocurrency continues to build, a promising trend will continue for Bitcoin, end quote. 
The company expects Bitcoin to follow an upward trend with substantial gains as it did after the last two halvings, which triggered roaring bull markets. The price of Bitcoin jumped 8,189% after the first halving in November of 2012. After the second halving in July of 2016, the leading cryptocurrency surged 2,270 or 37%. If the historical trend continues, Bitcoin IRA expects the value of BTC to explode to six figures. Quote, with the third halving just happening in early May of 2020, Bitcoin's price could soon rise to exceed $280,000. And that's the end of this dailyhodl.com uh, article. But guys, be careful. Honestly, just because, I mean, there are all manner of people that are predicting doom and gloom death spirals for Bitcoin as much as they're talking about purgatory and beyond price models. So chill, be safe and chill out. Okay. It's it's hopium. It's okay to take a big old hit of hopium every once in a while, but if you live and die by the hopium, Man, you're just not long for the Bitcoin world. Coin Telegraph's Adrian Zmunsky is writing this one uh, this morning. Bitmain debuts new T9, teen Bitcoin miner after the S17's troubled launch. World-leading mining hardware producer Bitmain launched its new ant miner T19 Bitcoin mining ASIC. According to a June 1st announcement, Bitmain's new Antminer T19 features a SHA-256 hash rate of 84 terahashes per second with a 3% error of, or margin error and a power efficiency of 37.5 joules per terahash with a 5% margin of error. The new ASIC model will be sold on the producer's official website starting today and shipments will start between June 21st and June 30th. That's what, okay, three weeks. I was kind of, I was hoping that for like mid-June so we could say two weeks, but that's not going to happen. Two weeks, trademark. <clears throat> the chips used in the new device are the same as those featured in the Antminer S19 and S19 Pro, but it also uses the new APW12 power supply and an upgraded firmware. Those changes reportedly allow for faster startup speeds for an optimized mining experience. Ricardo Mori, the manager of a small-scale mining operation in Venezuela, told Cointelegraph that the T19 is a major improvement over the T17 and its introduction will probably increase Bitcoin's hash rate. He also believes the introduction of the new hardware will help Bitcoin's network gain hash rate once again. Quote, with the introduction of the T19, we can expect the network hash rate to substantially rise and consequently the mining difficulty to rise as well. This will lower the profitability and extend the expected ROI time once again, end quote. The T19 announcement follows recent community reports that Bitmain's recently launched Antminer S17 Plus mining ASICs were defective. God. Co-founder of United States-based cryptocurrency consulting and mining firm Warren Asni Garusha said, quote, I have never seen such defective production before. Oh, man, end quote. Shortly after the early May critiques, Bitmain confirmed that many ASIC units of the series had major problems. A spokesperson told Cointelegraph that the company was already in talks with customers who encountered the issues. So there you go. Um, In trouble, uh, they decided to release the T19 because their T17s suck. And speaking of like, you know, people who are not long for the Bitcoin world, Bitmain does not look like it's very healthy. It's just one problem with these guys after another, after another. I just don't know how much they can take, more they can take, but... I guess we shall see. Demand for U.S. dollars surges in Hong Kong as China imposes new security law crackdown. Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel sometime yesterday. China has imposed a new national security law on Hong Kong, effectively limiting its independence and driving residents to convert millions of Hong Kong dollars into U.S. dollars in unprecedented demand. Fear and unrest have persisted in Hong Kong since China's ongoing suppression of Hong Kong citizens' protests that began last year. The new national security law, which passed unanimously, is a major step to dismantle the territory's autonomy. Shibani Matani, Asia, and Hong Kong bureau chief for the Washington Post posted a video on Twitter showing the tense atmosphere in Hong Kong. 
Eric Wong, <clears throat> Liam Lam, who runs Rich Bird Hong Kong Currency Exchange in Sham Shu Po, says demand for the United States dollar increased tenfold this week. Quote, the United States dollar is out of stock everywhere. We've offered every last bit of our supplies to our customers, end quote. South China Morning Post also reports that long lines formed on Friday as residents waited for shop operators to replenish their United States dollar supplies so they could exchange their money. Hong Kong Monetary Authority Chief Executive Eddie Yu Wei Man confirms, however, that the city's currency will remain pegged to the United States dollar and that he has not noticed fund outflows. I don't know, guys, but this doesn't look good at all for anybody, not just the Hong Kongers, but I mean, we just, dude, we just dropped $3 trillion of brand new spanking shiny new dollar bills. Well, I'm sure they, did, they didn't print them, but you, you know what I'm talking about. And there's dollar shortages around the, around the world. People are, are going to dive into the dollar like nobody's business at this point. It's the only thing. I mean, out the fact that so there's, I mean, almost everybody's heard of Bitcoin. Almost nobody understands it. I mean, it's very few people that actually understand what it really means. And it's going to take time for these people to figure the hell out. But the Bretton Woods Agreement had every, like, I think it was like 94 countries signed on to the Bretton Woods Agreement and pegged their currency one-to-one, or I think it was one-to-one, to to the dollar. And the dollar was pegged to gold. And in 1971, Nixon took us off the gold standard. And when he did that, he didn't just screw us in the United States. He screwed the entire world. Everybody's fiat is now on fire. Actually, everybody's money was converted into fiat on that day. And over the years, it's become less and less of money and more and more a fire starter for your stove. Because in Venezuela, that's about all it's useful for. Oh, God. And I'm supposing that this may be what people have been talking about deflation first before uh, hyperinflation. In this particular situation, I can see that actually happening. The Weimar Republic people talk about the fact that when they started printing the, a shit ton of money, that people were, were hodlers of it. They were like stuffing it in their mattress. They were like couldn't get enough of it because they did not know what the hell was coming next. I think we should probably assume that we might go into a deflationary period and then we will end up in hyperinflation. And honestly, that's why I have some Bitcoin. I mean, I don't have like, I didn't convert everything that I own into B, into BTC, but dude, I feel a hell of a lot better having some than none. That's all I'm saying. And that's going to do it for part one of the morning roundup. Let's do some vital statistics. With the world damn near plunged into an existential hell, major indices are up. Yes, because that makes sense, right? S&P 500 is up a third of a point. NASDAQ is up half a point. D, uh, oh God, the Dow Jones is up a quarter. The FTSE is up one and a half points. And the Nikkei is up, oh God, oh, uh, let's see, uh, 0.84 points. Now, here's the here's the kicker. The Hang Seng Index is up 3.36%. My God almighty, these people are all insane. All the bond yields for the United States are up. Uh, the only, the exception here is, well, okay, yeah, all all of United States is basically up. Uh, the Bund, German year, ten, or the German 10-year is down to 0405 uh, the Japan 10-year uh, is up substantially. It is positive 0.013. I haven't seen it that high in a while. UK is 10-year uh, bond is down to 0.229. Uh, we've seen a 2.5% drop in the price of oil. The last on West Texas Intermediate was $34.60 a barrel. We've had a similar drop in natural gas prices. It's holding that one8 and let's see, gold is up. Eh, meh. 
Gold is still it like hovering mid 1700s. It's at 1753 right now. But let's talk about I don't know real money. Bitcoin nine thousand five hundred thirty five. I know I I know I just went on the rant about the land thing, but I've been doing this for a while. I'm not just going to stop just because I think it should be pegged to land. Doesn't mean you think it should be pegged to land. If you want to know the price, I'm going to give it to you. Bitcoin is at $9,535. It does appear that that is going to be, nope, that's not the low. The low is over at Coinsbit, $9,444.95. The high is over at BitAsset, $9,653. So pretty good gap there, I guess. 268,000 transactions were made in the last 24 hours with 11,000 transactions being made per hour on average. 725,000 BTC were sent in the last 24 hours with 30,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. Average transaction value is at 2.7 BTC and the median transaction value precipitous dropped back down to 0.028 BTC or $271. Block time has increased to 10 minutes and 55 seconds. 0.53 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 69.5 BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. We've had a 6.08% drop in the hash rate, and that's bringing us to, according to bitinfocharts.com, that's bringing us to 107 exahashes per second. Uh, we'll see what my note has to say about that here in a sec. Uh, last time nobody did any development work on Bitcoin was sometime today. <clears throat> Ethereum is at 239, Bcash at 243, BSV at 193, Litecoin at 46.8, Ethereum Classic at $7, and Dogecoin getting it going on at 0.0026. And with 37,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, Dogecoin beats out Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, but somehow or another, the guys over at Bcash figured out a way to get actual, or I don't know, they're probably not actual transactions, but Dogecoin is not beating Bcash as of today. Now, my node has the hash rate on the daily average at 97.9 exahashes per second with a weekly average of 108 exahashes per second. I'm showing... 19,000 pending transactions in my mempool. Let's move over to Clark Moody Bitcoin. Uh, this is bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash uh, dashboard. And he has, he's showing 16,000 transactions. He's seeing about 12 megabytes in my mempool or in his mempool, wherever he's getting his, drawing his mempool data from. Lightning Network is, whoa, 934 BTC, giving a capacity of $8.93 million in dirty, icky fiat terms. This is over 7,144 nodes, representing 35,744 channels. Tor capacity is up again, 419.89 BTC. I think this is an all-time high for Tor capacity at 45%. So 45% of the Lightning Network are Tor nodes, and the amount of Tor nodes is 2,060. That's gonna do it for Vitals. More news coming at you. Samuel Haig writing this one for Cointelegraph. Failing monetary policy boosts bread wallets popularity in Venezuela, says CEO, co-founder of pioneering crypto wallet BRD, attributes his company's Venezuelan success to the local demand for crypto driven by falling monetary, failing monetary policy. Despite once ranking as the fourth most popular app in Venezuela, pioneering crypto wallet provider Bread Wallet, or BRD, attributes its success to the uh, in the country to local demand for crypto assets. Speaking with Cointelegraph on the topic of Breadwalt success in Venezuela, Adam Trademan, the CEO, stated that local demand for crypto assets has been the principal driver in the app's popularity in the country. In all honesty, he says, quote, 
I would love to be able to tell you it was a result of our brilliant marketing team and great advertising strategies and all that. It was none of those things. <laughs> At the time, due to government policy, the currency was inflating dramatically, kind of like what we've seen happen in other countries like, <clears throat> like uh, Argentina and Myanmar, trademen asserted. So... <laughs> I love his honesty. You got to love the guy's honesty, man. I love it, dude. As the Venezuelan monetary crisis worsened during 2018, BRD momentarily became the fourth most downloaded app in the entire country. Quote, during times like that, there is always a rush where people go and they try to take money out of banks or out of cash. And they try to put it into more stable assets. And that was the reason why, end quote, similar economic crises have driven significant adoption of BRD in neighboring Argentina with trademen stating, quote, if you just keep your Argentinian pesos or your Venezuela peso every six or 12 months, you kind of lose your life savings just because the value goes down. God, oh, that's a horrible way to state it. Having previously lived in the Argentinian capital of Buenos Aires, uh, trademen recalls having witnessed firsthand the ordeal that ordinary people would go through to convert local fiat into stable foreign currencies. Quote, on a Friday, once a month, they go to these money guys on the street. They are called corner money guys. And they literally trade in their paycheck for a huge fee, and then they get either physical dollars, euros, or they get crypto now. Because crypto is a lot safer walking away from the corner without a wad of cash, end quote. Quote, that fuels a lot of downloads to the BRD app. And I think the reason why it's popular, perhaps more than other a lot of ser other than a lot of other services, is because it's decentralized. Trademen added, when people download it, they don't have to go through a registration process. There's no friction. They just instantly have a QR, and boom, you can send them money. That's the beauty of decentralization. Quote: Most people think that decentralization is for privacy and illicit activities and all that. Not at all. It's for a great user experience. And ironically, that is what crypto is supposed to be. Trademan concluded. So I guess he's given a little, little rub at crypto. But we're all early. I mean, honestly, guys, we're so we're ridiculously early into this entire thing. So just keep that in mind and, and keep on hodling. And for, don't I guess don't make any plans to move to Venezuela or Argentina right now. I'm just saying... He directed a Taylor Swift music video. Now he's trading Bitcoin. Adriana Hamacher writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime today. Multi-award winning video director Joseph Kahn says, quote, if anyone has any ideas on crypto, I'm open. Oh boy. I, I smell a shit coiner. I do. Right now, I think he's safe, but I have to see Hollywood music video director Joseph Kahn has gone from bad blood to Bitcoin. On Sunday, the director who won Grammys for his work with Taylor Swift and Eminem announced his new favorite hobby, trading cryptocurrency, and he's looking for trading advice. Oh, God, dude, the burn. I feel a wreckage coming on. <clears throat> Kahn, who's worked with some of the biggest music stars and brands in the business over a 20-year career, said he spent the past month trading cryptocurrency and had made a profit of $450. Can you feel it coming, guys? Can you feel it? Even if it's not in the stories, you know what comes next. Ah. The award-winning director attached a screenshot of his portfolio on Coinbase Pro. It shows that his initial investment of $7,500 in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin now has a value of $7,949, a gain of 6%. He is mostly cashed out right now and plans to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum on a downswing when the price falls. Catching that knife. The 47-year-old Korean-American is at the top of his game in the music video world and has worked with a catalog of stars including Britney Spears, Lady Gaga, Snoop Dogg, and the 50 Cent. His latest project is a movie, Bodied, about, you guessed it, racial tensions in the world of battle rap and his immersion in the rap universe may have given him early exposure to Bitcoin. In 2013, referring to a new video cut, Khan tweeted, quote, you can pay me in Bitcoins and or obscure sex tricks, end quote. Hmm. Whether Khan bought any Bitcoin in 2013 is unknown, but his client, 50 Cent, is reported to have accepted the cryptocurrency as payment for his album Animal Ambition in 2014. 
The rapper was thought to have accumulated Bitcoin, now valued at over $7 million, but he revealed he had no cryptocurrency holdings during a bankruptcy hearing in 2018. Boat wrecks are vicious, man. Khan's first known foray into Bitcoin was in February this year when he tweeted, I bought Bitcoin today because porn accepts it. If porn adopts tech, that's a sign the tech is mainstream, end quote. But things didn't go well for Khan to begin with. He lost almost half of his initial investment when Bitcoin crashed alongside mainstream stocks in March and expressed disappointment that the cryptocurrency didn't seem to be an effective hedge against the market. <laughs> I've seen this pattern before. I've seen it many times. In April, things started looking up for Khan. Quote, I'm officially... Only down $50 in cryptocurrency. I still have no idea what I'm doing, he tweeted. Yesterday, he sent out another entreaty for help. If anyone has any, any ideas on crypto, I'm open. Because of the pandemic, the rookie trader has only produced or has only produced one video in 2020. And judging by the increased frequency of his tweets on cryptocurrency, he's doubling down on his new hobby. Unlike J.K. Rowling, who lived to regret asking crypto Twitter to explain Bitcoin to her, Khan hasn't yet been inundated with offers of advice, but it's only a matter of time. I doubt it because, guys, I've never heard of this dude. I've heard of all the people that he's worked with. I have no idea who the hell Joseph Khan is. Well, now I kind of do. He makes videos for people like Taylor Swift. But honestly, unless you are actually... Taylor Swift or actually Eminem. Yeah, no, not a whole lot of people except people inside the industry are going to know, know who you're, who you are, which is probably a good thing because you don't get inundated on, you know, going to a restaurant because nobody knows who the hell you are. So you're kind of free to move around. And, you know, sorry, a little tangent there. Anyway, I've seen this story play out before. Okay. Gets into Bitcoin gets into a little bit of Litecoin, a little bit of Ethereum. Next thing you know, you start trading. Honestly, you could you could probably you could probably replace everything I'm about to say with first you try a little marijuana and then somebody offers you a little cocaine. Next thing you know, you're banging a heroin in some kind of abandoned building next to the fucking railroad tracks and then you wonder 10 years later how you lost it all. Guys, I am here to tell you and, and I didn't even have to, I didn't have to learn this lesson by myself. I accepted the advice of other people who said, dude, unless you know exactly what you're doing, you don't trade this stuff. It's hard enough in traditional markets to not get your ass handed to you. It's so much easier in cryptocurrency and trading in the, of the cryptocurrencies for you to get your ass handed to you. This guy is going to get his ass handed to him and then he's going to hate Bitcoin and then he's going to tweet about it and everybody else is going to say, see, even though they don't know who the fuck this dude is, they're going to point to him and say, see, Bitcoin is bad. No, it's a tool. If you use a tool to do stupid things, you're going to build stupid things that eventually collapse on your ass and you get wrecked. But whatever, Tether integrates with Plasma Sidechain to reduce load on Ethereum. Uh, Cointelegraph's Andrei Shevchenko, or Shevchenko, sorry, Shevchenko, writing this one five hours ago says, Tether has integrated the just-launched OMG Network Plasma sidechain, formerly known as Omizgo, promising cheaper transactions as Ethereum's fees skyrockets. Oh, my fees, bro. <clears throat> Bitfinex's Tether stablecoin is now available on the OMG Network, a Plasma-based Ethereum sidechain launched on June the 1st by the project formerly known as Omizgo. The integration also announced on June the 1st marks the first time that Tether integrated an Ethereum sidechain to boost its performance. Tether is by far the largest gas guzzler on the Ethereum network at 8,900 ETH, which is about $1.84 million in fees spent last month, according to the ETH gas station website. This is more than the next five protocols combined, one of which is reportedly a Ponzi scheme. 
By delegating some of that volume to the OMG network, Tether is hoping to ease the burden on Ethereum. Screw them. Bitfinex's CTO, Paolo Arduino, said that by migrating USDT value transfers to the OMG network, we save costs, drive performance improvements, and relieve pressure on the root chain network. The OMG-based Tether network will be accessible through Bitfinex and allow traders to react faster to trading opportunities, Arduino said. Though, given the network's recent launch, there are no other venues that accepts it yet. Stephen McNamara, the COO of OMIOSGO, told Cointelegraph that discussions to integrate OMG with other exchanges and wallet providers are ongoing. While Plasma was initially touted as the best Layer 2 solution for scaling Ethereum, major issues with it meant that the community's enthusiasm shifted to optimistic roll-ups. That left OMIOSGO and several other projects alone when dealing with the Plasma technology. The OMG network, a complete rebranding of both OMIOSGO and its parent company, OMIS, launched its mainnet beta on June the 1st as well. The project appears to have cut several corners to make its more viable plasma. Notably, the sidechain is based on proof of authority consensus, with the documentation noting that it is operated by a single entity. It nevertheless supports watcher nodes that verify the correctness of the transactions. Other compromises include the inability to perform a mass exit from the sidechain, which was one of the biggest stumbling blocks of the initial Plasma concept, and a limited scope where only one chain will be created instead of a full network of them. Hmm. Still, the network allows direct peg-ins of ETH or ERC-20 tokens while reportedly reducing fees by 66%. This may become an attractive proposition as Ethereum fees continue to skyrocket. Why the hell am I reading anything about shitcoinery? Honestly, you kind of need to know where this shit's going. I'm, I'm not sure if Ethereum is ever going to go away. I think the thing is going to fail spectacularly. I think people are going to get wrecked AF. And I think that they that there will never be, there will never ever be a dearth of idiots who want to buy into this kind of tech. I, I, proof of authority, proof of stake, all of that stuff, all it is to me is a, a, a mess that somebody that many people out there are looking at going, how can I game that system? Because there's so many cogs and wheels and doors and windows and lights and switches and bells and whistles and all that. Honestly, when you've got that much confusion and complication in any system, it is inherent that somebody somewhere will figure out exactly how to game that son of a bitch to death. That's what I'm waiting for. But if I hold my breath for Ethereum to just die and all these other coins to just simply die because of the inherent stupidity, I will probably suffocate myself. I wish it wasn't that way. I really do because I just hate seeing people get wrecked. But mm, this, honestly, there's just too much complication here. So you can take that as you will. Let's let's move on. An old trick could solve Bitcoin's privacy problem. Colin Harper writing this one for Decrypt.co. Coin swap. An old privacy trick created by Greg Maxwell is back with a new design that can solve Bitcoin's privacy problem for good. Guys, when people speak of silver bullets, please, please, please take that with a grain of salt. Almost like you take price predictions of $10 trillion a coin with uh, as hopium. Okay, honestly, be careful here. A Bitcoin developer just resurrected a dormant privacy protocol that could be the silver bullet for Bitcoin's anonymity issues, and it could be put into action without changing Bitcoin's source code. Chris Belcher, a UK-based developer with hundreds of commits across various Bitcoin projects like Electrum and JoinMarket, this week released an implementation proposal for CoinSwap, a seven-year-old privacy protocol he believes will massively improve Bitcoin privacy and fungibility. With coin swap transactions, though it might look like a user sends funds from address A to address B, in reality, her coins end up in address Z, which is entirely unconnected to either A 
or B, Belcher wrote. CoinSwap was originally conjured up in 2013 by Greg Maxwell, co-founder of Blockstream and the creator of CoinJoin, CoinSwap's spiritual predecessor. But Maxwell's idea was too technically challenging to implement and was left to gather dust. Belcher's proposal, however, uses the same smart contract trick that makes Bitcoin's lightning network tick, making it easier to implement. Belcher told Decrypt the protocol could be ready for testing in six to eight months, and Maxwell has praised Belcher's implementation as an extensive and well-written high-level design. This could solve Bitcoin's major anonymity issue. Since Bitcoin's addresses are public and pseudonymous, it's fairly easy for blockchain analytics companies to trace Bitcoin addresses to IP addresses. Anonymity protocols such as CoinJoin already exist, but they can be difficult to navigate and only work when strict instructions are followed. With CoinJoin, CoinSwap's predecessor, Groups of users send equal amounts of Bitcoin together. For example, five users each send one BTC, which the protocol then processes in batches to obscure the origins of transactions. Because transactions are grouped together in batches, they all have a shared history and all look identical. One of the nuisances with coin joining is that each user must input, input an equal amount of Bitcoin into the batch transaction for it to work properly. If you joined a server for a one BTC coin join and you accidentally sent two, then the privacy of your input and whoever interacts with it in that coin join would be compromised. CoinSwap solves this problem by eliminating the need for like amount payments instead of jumbling a bunch of coins together CoinSwap, as its name suggests, lets users swap coins by sending them to an intermediate wallet first. Should Alice and Bob want to coin swap, Alice will kick things off by sending Bitcoin to a multi-sig address, <coughs> i.e. an address they both hold keys to. At the same time, Bob sends Bitcoin to another multi-signature address. Since both Alice and Bob have keys to both wallets, they can then withdraw the coins to their own wallets. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. A cryptographic trick used in atomic swaps and the Lightning Network called hash time lock contracts, or the HTLC, prevent either party from filching funds from the other. To complete the swap, Bob withdraws Bitcoin from the first multi-sig address and Alice withdraws Bitcoin from the second one. These multi-sig addresses use another cryptographic trick to make the transactions look, quote, just like a regular single, or sorry, just like a regular single SIG instead of a multi-SIG, end quote, Chris Belcher told Decrypt. The swap isn't visible by anyone examining the chain, so privacy is improved, he explained further. Belcher highlighted in his post that a well-functioning coin swap market would be resistant to a Sybil attack where an attacker could overpower the network and identify its participants. To achieve this, Belcher said that it's necessary to use the same so-called fidelity bonds that keep actors honest in join market, one of the largest coin join hubs in Bitcoin. With these bonds, the participant for participants fulfilling a coin swap request, the market takers, must stake Bitcoin as collateral before they can participate in a swap. This would make it too expensive for, say, a blockchain analysis company to spam the network and work out who is using CoinSwap. For a simple attacker to be successful, Belcher estimates that it would require roughly 55,000 BTC, $500 million, to be locked up for six months. Given the join market's Sorry, given the join market clientele's appetite for CoinJoin, if CoinSwap scales, Belcher envisions that people could one day make coin swaps for sizes up to about 200 BTC. Adam Fisor, the co-founder of Wasabi Wallet, another privacy-preserving Bitcoin wallet, told Decrypt that the proposal is very exciting, but that he is still trying to figure out if its practical implementations would take away from the magic of the idea or not. Wasabi provides liquidity to keep its coin joining pools running smoothly and privately. Putting its own money into the coin join helps Wasabi obscure who's coin joining with whom and means that there's always someone to coin join with. But it'd need to stake a lot more Bitcoin to implement CoinSwap, Fisker said, or Fixor, F-I-C-S-O-R. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Sorry, dude. <clears throat> Excuse me. To facilitate coin swaps through its platform, Wasabi would need to deposit Bitcoin infidelity bonds on top 
of the Bitcoin it's providing for the coin swaps every time its users enter a trade. Fixor joked that he would have to cut half of Wasabi's staff to make it work. Ew, nothing to joke about. He emphasized that he's still evaluating the proposal, so his concerns could be completely misguided. In any case, Belcher wants to take a different approach. Instead of having wallets or other services bankroll liquidity for CoinSwap, Belcher hope, hopes it will evolve much like Join Market, where the free market's various actors will keep the money coming in. So long as there's a wide array of users and a deep pool of liquidity, the new protocol could keep civil attacks and de-anonymization attacks at bay. At least that's how Belcher imagines it playing out. And if it does, it could be a significant win for Bitcoiners in the war on privacy. All right, so that's the end of that article. And that's, I'm, I'm excited, but like I said, somebody says the word silver bullet, <clears throat> man, right there, you could, you should just go, uh, yeah, okay, I'll take a, I'll take a look at it. I'll take a deep dive into it, but I'm not just automatically going to go around saying we've solved the problem because we haven't. Okay, and even with CoinSwap, if it comes out and it's implemented properly and it's a good, it really is a good design and it works, then then it helps. Okay, nothing is actually going to solve the problems, whether they're in Bitcoin or something else. You can help alleviate problems, but again, with all complex systems, everything introduced is a possible attack vector. There's always somebody who's smart enough to go, I know exactly how to game that system. Even though everybody else swears to God that there's no way to game a system, I my money is always betting on somebody out there who's, I don't know, an autistic savant or something who immediately can look at something and go, I can screw that up. I know exactly how to screw that up. Just saying. All right, so that's going to do it for the uh, for the morning roundup. Let's, I don't know, let's do a joke. All right, Terrible Joke Corner, as usual, brought to you by Dad, says joke. Uh, it appears that Dad is in not a good mood today. Uh, so he's got... Uh, while while still a terrible joke, the mood of what's going on in the world is reflected very deeply in this particular one. Uh, he says, I'm reading a horror book in Braille. Something bad is going to happen. I can feel it. You know, I'll, I was about to give the sound effect for that, but I'm not going to do it because I too have a fe have a feeling that something very bad is going to happen. All the stuff that's going on right now is bad. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying I woke up this morning with this weird feeling in my gut saying, I think something really bad is going to happen. I don't know what. I, I don't, honestly. I have no clue. I have. There's no way for me to even conjecture. It's just one of those gut feelings. Maybe I'm just tired from watching all the shit going on, but it's which is ridiculous all by itself, but... You know, dad seems to think something bad is going to happen too. And honestly, honestly, I might want to have to listen to that. Um, I was reading you that joke off of uh, my Bitcoin hackers.org Mastodon instance. Mastodon. Have you heard about this thing? It's been around for a while. Uh, it is a Twitter clone. And it kind of came about a few, I can't remember exactly when it started. I learned about it probably two years ago, I'm thinking. Uh, it was actually probably longer than that, maybe four years. In either event, I, so I set myself up with, with an account. And um, this thing is, is an interesting take on Twitter. And the reason it was you know implemented was decentralization and... We were all getting caught up in, in everything Bitcoin. And so, you know, decentralized all the things came out. But we, we started getting like, you know, messages in the media of why we want to do that because the media started censoring pretty much anybody they didn't like. I, you know, and, and now 
now, like my Macedon account, I dusted that son of a bitch off because of what's going on with Twitter right now and some other, you know, other platforms. Um, it's, here's the way that I handle my Mastodon. Okay. I'm not going to split my time between Mastodon and Twitter yet. Somehow or another, I kind of need a backup for Twitter. Now, be, be it as it may, that cross posting is kind of frowned upon in the computing community. I cross post. That's what I do. In fact, I use what's known as crossposter.masto.dante.com.br. I know it's, wow, that's a mouthful. Cross post, just Google cross poster and Mastodon. Mastodon is spelled M-A-S-T-O-D-O-N. Okay. Uh, and you'll probably find it. It is very much, it is pretty much exactly like the if this then that website where you can set certain things to trigger given certain other events, hence the name, if this, then that. And I use that one heavily. Like when I post to Instagram, when IFTTT is working, sometimes it doesn't, it will automatically post my Instagram into uh, my Twitter account. Okay, same thing here. Mastodon or the cross poster, what it does is it synchronizes your Twitter to Mastodon and ma and then you have the option to go from Mastodon to Twitter. So either way, that you'd have two options. You can go, uh, you can uh, do a toot, which is what they're called on Mastodons, and it will automatically populate to your Twitter timeline as a tweet. Or you can go from Twitter, like you tweet something, and it will actually post it as a toot on Mastodon. I think that this is important. I really do. And for those people who just really don't like cross-posting, I wish I could help you out, you know, to not hate me, but I am going to cross-post. I, I am, I, I do apologize because I know that it is frowned upon. But generally speaking, I find that it's more frowned upon when you're on like, I don't know, Stack Overflow, and then you ask the same question in like two or three other different places, or God forbid, like if I'm on the side effects software um, website and are in their forums, and then I post the exact same question to like four different, uh, oh God, what do they call them? Four, four different uh content forums all on the side effects software, like, like general questions. And then I suppose the same question to somewhere like 3d, you know, animation and modeling section of that same website. Yeah. People give me shit. People will give me shit. So I don't do that anymore. I used to, but I don't because I got my ass handed to me years and years and years ago as to how bad of etiquette that that really was. So I stopped doing that. I'm going to be doing this and I'm really digging. I'm really the, the Mastodon, um, the way that it works is pretty slick. I'm not going to describe it to you here because this is one of the things that you want. If you want to go find out what the hell it is I'm talking about, by all means, go find out about it. Don't listen to what the hell I have to say. Go find out about it for yourself. But so when, whenever I tweet, whether it's from my phone or from my desktop, I know that that tweet is going to be posted as a toot to Mastodon. And if for whatever reason something happens to my Twitter account, it gets compromised. I get, I say something, I don't know, tweet something like when I'm drunk, like maybe give instructions on how to pull down a 52 foot stone obelisk in the middle, middle of Birmingham, Alabama, like a recent Egyptologist archeologist tweeted out, who's probably going to get her ass handed to her for that shit. No, literally, she, she was giving instructions on how to topple a 52-foot-high stone obelisk because she's an Egyptologist, and apparently they have obelisks in Egyptology. I, but she works for the University of Alabama, and honestly, I think she's going to get... I, I, I don't see this going well for her because when, when, when you describe how, how to topple that much stone with ropes and chains and people. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, honestly, if somebody tries that, I hope they don't get killed. Cause that, 
if that thing falls on a person, it, that it's over for that person. It's over. There's, there's no coming back from that. So if I were to do something stupid, like give instructions on how to kill yourself on Twitter and Twitter decides, you know, this is just a really dangerous person and I, they should just not, they're just going away forever on the platform. At least all of my tweets that since I started doing this cross posting thing for to Mastodon will all still be there. I should have been doing this. I never, Oh, I have to tip my hat here to open noms. Okay. He's the guy. Cause I asked a question about, I, I wish I could get my tweets to go native into the, the toot format of Mastodon and open noms was right there, man. He was right there with this. I use cross poster and give it a shot. And it's really, really easy. And open noms was indeed correct. So using this cross poster is, has made it, it, it's, I mean, I was cross posting within 15 seconds after I got my, after I had my two accounts synchronized to, to each other, man, 15 seconds later, I had a tweet on Mastodon and I had a toot on Twitter. It was amazing. And because my Instagram is connected to my Twitter account, which is cross posting to Mastodon, Anything that I put out on my Instagram account not only populates in Twitter, but populates from Twitter to Mastodon. So I'm hitting three platforms all at once. Just saying, give it a shot and support the Mastodon community because you never know. One day, it may be the only place that we can go, honestly. But with all that said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.